genuine question now. Go ahead. When was the last time you experienced decent, not even like exceptional, just decent customer service? Oh, long time ago. I mean, there's no secret formula for it yet. What we do know is that most companies seem to be pretty bad at it. But not you, my friend, not you, listener. Oh, no. You can create an amazing customer service experience when you use the brand new service hub from HubSpot. Yep, this all-new service hub from HubSpot brings customer service and support together in one simple but powerful platform so you can deliver the best experience possible. And of course, it's powered by AI, not Al, AI, meaning your team can automate those tedious tickets from people who've clearly not read your frequently asked questions. Pain in the backside, aren't they? Oh, and by the way, organizations using HubSpot Service Hub are resolving tickets 13 times faster, helping them to close 42% more tickets per day. That means increasing retention by more than 80%. Thank you, people at HubSpot who, who did the maths on that one, because I wouldn't be able to. I love a bit of data. Did you also know, Al, that it consolidates your entire internal knowledge base into one place? So no matter who is working on support, they'll have the answers at their fingertips. I did know that because I wrote that for you. Well, there you have it. Stand out from the crowd and migrate to HubSpot Service Hub today. Visit HubSpot.com slash service and learn how this all-new solution can help you deliver for your customers. When I joined the RSPCA, um, all of our inspectorate staff, um, there was a requirement to um, carry a firearm, but actually the, the need for everybody to carry a firearm wasn't really there. But there was a contractual requirement for everybody to do so. The problem we had then is that, of course, anybody with a mental health issue um, then has a problem getting a home office licence. Hello and welcome to the Truth, Lies and Workplace Culture podcast brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. My name is Leanne, I'm a business psychologist. My name is Al, I'm a business owner. And we are here to help you simplify the science of people and create amazing workplace cultures. Yeah, and um, everyone get the violins out because <laughs> poor Leanne's not well again. <laughs> you got a bit of a cold, haven't you, love? I do have a bit of a cold. Um, it's really frustrating. I honestly went about almost three years without being ill at all and then 2023 it's like every couple of months I've got a cold or a sickness bug or something I'm, I'm pretty miserable about it so apologies if you're watching on YouTube I'm sorry about this but this is as good as it's going to get today <laughs> Alice assures me he's going to do some trickery with color correction in post but um yeah there you go I'm not looking my best for those on audio again I apologize I probably sound a bit bunged up and and, the, and what usually happens is that I get whatever Leanne's got about four days later. So tomorrow <laughs> I'm expecting to wake up feeling pretty rotten. But anyway, we're soldiering on for you, listener. We are. Because we care about you. We love you. We want to come round and make you cake. No, that's a bit weird, isn't it? Mm. I mean, we can make you cake if you want a cake. I make a mean lemon drizzle. She does. She does. Mm. It is very, very good. Anyway, <laughs> you didn't come here to listen to us talk about lemon drizzle. Yeah, before we crack on with the episode, I would like to tell you about an awesome campaign that our friends at Perks are kicking off in December. Perks is ran by Stella Smith, who has been on the podcast before. Uh, I think she's actually the first person to appear on our founder series. She was. Great episode. Go and listen to that. We'll leave a link. All that jazz. So yeah, I received a very timely message from Aggie on the Perks team and just thought it was brilliant. So 
I enthusiastically emailed her back and was like, we're getting involved. Um, and thankfully she was very happy that, that we did want to get involved. And I'll be honest, Al, it is right up your street too. Nice. Yeah. And also actually very, very much aligned with this episode, which is on trauma in the workplace. Um, and also the rest of the content we'll be bringing you this month. So yes, Perks, they are on a mission to make help a conversation and create a community that thrives on support. They have a vision of creating a community who proudly signpost themselves as allies, ready and willing to lend a helping hand to those who need it. Whether it's someone needing work experience to start a new career or just a neighbor needing an extra hand with the shopping. So we are teaming up with Perks in December to spread the message that asking for help is an absolute power move. Now, you may think that sounds counterintuitive. And you know what? The research agrees. That is recent research in the Journal of Child Development showing that children as young as seven years old will avoid will avoid asking for help in order to not feel or appear incompetent. This feeling of incompetence or maybe embarrassment or shame is often why people don't ask for help even when they need it most. And the funny thing is, on the other side of it, being asked to help gives us a rush of endorphins. It's this help is high that can play a really important role in actually building our own well-being, our own psychological capital. So our sense of hope and optimism and, and confidence in our abilities and in turn resilience. Helping others really is good for everyone. So stay tuned to all the awesome activities Perks will be promoting in December through the hashtag K2Help, including a series of online webinars, which is quite cool. They'll be doing them throughout December. They'll have topics such as how to do a forecast for beginners, how to handle HR as an SME. And we'll also be resharing our recent webinars on burnout and well-being at work. So stay tuned. Thank you, Perks, for asking us to be involved. I think it's a pretty awesome initiative, actually. Yeah, Perks is a fantastic company. We pay for it. Um, we use it. Um, it's I I woke up about about six months ago with like a really bad um neck ache thing. And I didn't know what was didn't know why it why it appeared, but um went on Perks app, some great exercises, followed them, was right as rain within a couple of days. So uh, mm-hmm. it is definitely, definitely worth it. And also just a quick one, if you are looking for a GP appointment in the UK, mm. pay your six pounds a month. I think it's six quid a month or something, it's not yeah. a lot. Pay that. Top of the queue. Anyway, so back to the subject, which again is tangentially tangent tangential. That doesn't sound right. Is slightly. Can we, can we say genitals on the podcast? <laughs> we just did, I think. So we're going to be talking about workplace trauma today. Now, when we think of trauma, we tend to think of like frontline workers, like maybe the police or ambulance or you know armed force or something like that. But there's a lot of jobs that actually do involve a fair amount of trauma. Yeah, there really is. I think the pandemic really brought this to the fore. You know, we saw the effect of the pandemic on um, key workers, on NHS staff, on teachers. But let's not forget that during the pandemic, there were people in supermarkets or delivering packages or emptying your bins who were still putting their health and sometimes their lives on the line to keep the world turning. Thankfully, we seem to be back to some kind of normality in terms of COVID risk, although I know it is still out there and still causing problems. But the pandemic has made us all much more aware that trauma exists in the workplace. 
Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about three things we're talking about. First of all, what is workplace trauma? Then we're going to say what are the signs that there might be workplace trauma in your workplace? And then finally, we're looking a little bit more into how you mitigate the risk of workplace trauma or traumatized employees. And we have, of course, as always, my wife, my co-host. That's me. The most amazing business psychologist in the world. You heard it here first. Um, and she's <laughs> highly experienced in all of this. Um, and so we'll be asking her for her opinions. She, we, she, she can't help but just butt in at some point yeah, to tell true. us what's going on. <laughs> but she's going to be explaining everything. But we also invited a couple of guests, yes, Leah. Well, yes, we did. Yes, we did. Before we meet them, I'd like to just go back to our earlier point and make one thing really clear. Workplace trauma is much more common than you might think. If your business has customers, then your employees are operating in an environment where they are at risk of trauma. We don't have the time in this episode to dive into the nuances of trauma, how it's categorized, whether it be severe or otherwise, though it would actually make a pretty interesting episode. So instead for this one, I'd like you to maybe consider we've got trauma with a capital T and trauma with a lowercase t. So if you are a business leader that isn't really sure about how trauma could impact your workplace, I'd like you to think about trauma with this in mind, this lowercase t. If you have employees working direct with customers, understanding and effectively managing workplace trauma is critical to nurture and protect employee well-being. The risk of trauma needs to be a key consideration for the vast, vast majority of business leaders. We will talk about that more shortly. But first, let's meet our guests. So today we're joined by the amazing Dr. Claire Fernandez, the Chief Medical Officer of the BBC, who will be talking about the traumatic things that the BBC have to cover, and also the marvellous Jeremy Gauntry-Jones, the Assistant Director of Employee Experience at the RSPCA. My name's Claire Fernandez, um, known within the BBC as Dr. Claire, but Claire's absolutely fine. Um, as you've said, I'm the Chief Medical Officer at the BBC. Um, I'm a practising um, occupational physician, so medical doctor as well. Um, and so what I do within the BBC is I'm the head of the health team um, and in charge of strategy, um, governance and promotion of health and well-being within the BBC. My name is Jeremy Gorch jones I'm the Assistant Director Employee Experience uh, at the RSPCA. Uh, I've been with the RSPCA for three years and what I'm famous for um, probably within the RSPCA is leading our quite flexible hybrid working st strategy. So let's start with what constitutes trauma in the workplace. Trauma at work can manifest in various forms, including acute trauma from a single incident, like a workplace accident or violence, chronic trauma from ongoing stresses like harassment or a high-pressured environment, and vicarious trauma from exposure to distressing situations or stories, which is very common in caregiving or law enforcement roles, for example. Causes range from organisational issues like poor management, lack of support and toxic workplace cultures to specific events like workplace bullying, discrimination or witnessing traumatic events. It's important to understand that trauma is not only about the events themselves, but also how individuals perceive that trauma and how they are affected by these events. As Leanne said, there's lots of different types of trauma. For example, in 2019, this is a study from the States, I think, a workplace violence accounted for 9% of all fatal work injuries. In 2020, there were 392 workplace murders and an amazing 37,000 non-fatal injuries resulting from intentional injury by another person in that workplace. 
Now, I'm sure we've all seen those videos on TikTok, YouTube, whatever your platform of choice is, where someone kicks off in a McDonald's or whatever. But what about those people who have a job that puts themselves directly in harm's way? The BBC in the UK, certainly, but I think around the world, is a trusted source of news. And often the news is pretty upsetting. So it's pretty reasonable to assume that the journalists covering these events are going to experience some kind of workplace trauma. But as Dr. Claire explains, it's not just the journalists who experience this. So when I think of the BBC, I think about, um, you know, the guy on the telly reading the news, or the girl, or them. And um, we don't often think about um, the people, say, that might be editing the footage that they spent three years to get on, I don't know, the African ant, um, black-spotted ant. I don't think that's a real thing. Or we don't think about the people that are um, the producers or the people behind CBBS or Children in Need. Uh, we don't think about my colleagues in Nepal, perhaps, that are bringing in information from that part of the world um, who might be the cleaner of the office there. It's a huge spectrum of people. And because we know a, well, a good well-being strategy is not a one-size-fits-all this sort of theme is something that, that I get asked about a lot. And so the first thing I want to say is that um, what the BBC does is more than just um, the people going running towards the, tra the, to the traumatic situations while everyone else is running away. We are also people making content for online, for example, which is really popular during COVID, to natural history programmes where you see our beloved David Attenborough in different places but also um, to um, how those things all run in the background. So all the tech behind it, all the people administration. So whilst the journalists tend to be the employees that people focus on when they're talking to me the most, there's a whole heap of other people that are just as important that are behind the camera, the hidden talent, if you like. But going back to your question, so how do we support um, our employees um, that are facing trauma? So it's actually quite a large question because... Going back to what I said about how many people and whom we have within the BBC, we have people facing primary trauma, so actually being involved in the traumatic events, for example, our, our staff, sadly, in regions of conflict, for example, or uh, natural disaster. Um, but then we then have journalists that are going towards the places that people are pulling away from. Uh, but then we also have our teams back within different countries within the UK that are editing that footage, that are, are making those programs, that are archiving that footage, that are, you know, human resources, uh, for example, that are listening to um, the stories of our employees when they come back if there's challenges. There's a lots of different people that are involved in that traumatic experience. So that's where Dr. Claire comes in. And I just wanted to be clear, what is the difference between what Claire does and what, say, a GP does? So I asked exactly that question. So a doctor is somebody that treat, uh, diagnoses and treats people or patients. Um, there's lots of different specialties from your neurosurgeon to your heart surgeon to your GP um, to your um, sexual health doctor. So my specialty is occupational medicine. So the medicine of workers. So I'm a, a consultant, so I'm a specialist accredited doctor and like, you know, uh, you know, kind of the top level doctor within the, within the, the NHS, I'm, I'm pretty privileged to say. And um, I look at um, how we keep workers healthy and safe, basically, in a nutshell. So that might be from working within occupational health department where we um, follow various legal protocols and work with employers to help advise 
on medical health conditions, help managers to manage people in light of the conditions that they have. Um, but I do it in a non-clinical way within the BBC. So I do not see patients within the BBC. I work to use my medical knowledge to help the organisation to decide how they manage health and well-being. Regular listeners will know that we are huge dog lovers here at Truth and Lies. In fact, Peanut, our little rescue pedenko, is sitting next next to us while we record. Um, he, Yeah, he sometimes causes trouble, but usually he's actually pretty good. The RSPCA is an organisation in the UK that protects animals and prevents cruelty. But this means that inspectors there have to see some pretty awful things. Jeremy is in charge of employee experience at the RSPCA and he explained that the job can be tough. One of the challenges we have is that um, I mean, a lot of our staff are frontline. Uh, they're working out and about in animal centres, uh, in, in our spectrum, and it's about identifying areas that we can support them in their well-being. They do very stressful jobs. Uh, see some really not very nice stuff sometimes uh, around animals and of course people that are passionate about animals when you're seeing animals uh, that, that, that are being neglected can be really hard so supporting them is really important looking at ways that we can provide flexibility around them in terms of future rosters roster designs and how they work is important as well um, but you know one of the things we've done recently uh, is we've introduced uh, trim trauma resource management which actually supports people um, who come across traumatic events in, in their workplace and it helps them uh, talk about those issues with, with a peer and their and prevents a spiraling decline in their mental health. Now Jeremy just used a term trim that I'd never heard of this is the first time I'd heard of it so I said I asked him to explain a little bit more about what trim was and what it does. Um, it, we didn't design it it's something that, that exists uh, in the emergency services and was uh, in the military as well um, and we've taken that idea and, and brought it into the organisation and it's really popular and working well. It, it is aimed around people witnessing traumatic events. So, I mean, depending, you know, so there are lots of different jobs that that potentially could apply to. Um, so, yes, I mean, we encourage any employer um, who has staff that could witness such events um, to actually look into TRIM. Yeah, TRIM or Trauma Risk Management is a really interesting framework and it's basically a way to help staff when they've been through something really tough or traumatic at work. The idea is that after a disturbing event, people might struggle with their mental health, maybe even develop a serious condition like PTSD. TRIM is what organisations like the police use to try and reduce those risks. The programme was created in the armed forces by Captain Pete Roberts and Major Norman Jones, and it specifically talks about survivors, not victims. One interesting thing about TRIM is that it recognises that everyone reacts differently to stress. So while the programme is there to help, it also puts some responsibility on the individual to speak up and ask for help if they need it, especially if they're feeling stressed. So basically, it's a support system for people who've seen or experienced something pretty unpleasant at work. Unsurprisingly, the BBC also uses TRIM. It's not just me. I have a team of health um, health and uh, mental health experts. Um, we work with um, employees, teams, managers, HR to try and reduce those impacts. So, for example, um, to allow people to look after themselves when they're working in these environments. Shift length, support, um, check-in days. And then we also have um, a network of peer support, um, which is called TRIM, um, which it's one of a number of um, other support networks. Other support networks are available. 
Uh, so TRIM, our practitioners, my colleagues are there to help um, triage people that have symptoms and signpost them to the right places and provide that health promotion to keep people well. So those who are suffering get signposted to people like myself, to clinicians, to psychologists um, to get the support that they need. But also then that health promotion again around keeping yourself healthy, keeping yourself well, things to do for those that don't need that support that are struggling. Because even if you don't have, and that sounds quite trite, doesn't it? Even if you don't have the mental health problems that come with facing trauma, it's still a horrible thing to do. It's not a, it's not a walk in the park. It's not unicorns and rainbows. So that in, our, in, a, in a nutshell is how we do trauma within the BBC. I am quickly interrupting this phenomenal podcast to recommend another phenomenal podcast, Nudge. We love Nudge, hosted by Phil Agnew, a true gent. It is, of course, brought to you by the Hubspot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. But that is not the only reason we're recommending it, is it, Al? No, it's not. No, we've recommended it to lots of people. If you look at any of our YouTube comments, it won't take you long, there's about 20 of them, <laughs> then you'll see that we recommend Phil uh, to anyone who likes our pod. Well, on Nudge, you're going to learn simple evidence-backed tips. It's going to help you kick bad habits, get a raise, and grow a business. Oh, and it's the UK's fastest growing business podcast. For now. For now, Phil, we're coming for you, buddy. <laughs> if you loved hearing Rory Sutherland from Ogilvy on our show back in episode 83, then Phil's latest episode has Rory on again talking about McDonald's, smoking, and why the pension system is broken. I suppose we should say that actually Rory's been on a couple of times on to nudge. It's not that uh, Phil's seen what we've done and gone, I'll have Rory. So I think it's important yeah, for no, us to say Yeah, no, we copied. That. We copied Phil. Anyway, listen to Nudge wherever you get your podcasts. So it's all about normalising that not feeling okay really is okay. We can't reduce the um, the exposure. Those things are happening. We as the audience need to be seeing those things that we can learn and understand. So what we do is um, we try and prepare people well to start off with. So information, education and training on how to look after yourself, recognising those negative impacts that can occur, reducing the stigma of putting your hand up and saying, I'm not OK. Because, of course, everybody, you know, it's a competitive environment. Everybody wants to um, get their next story. And we do that also behind the scenes, too, thinking about secondary trauma, vicarious trauma, um, for people that are out there looking at the scenes, but also people that are hearing the footage, editing, um, producing shows, archiving. Again, what vicarious trauma is, so the negative mental health impact on um, people by um, having that secondhand exposure, what it is, how it can affect you, the fact that sometimes these things are normal in the human spectrum of emotion, but what to do if you're not okay um, where to go for help. What I'd really not thought about before was that there are certain people who can't say that they're not okay. Some of the inspectors who go out have to carry firearms, which makes sense because they have to deal with tough situations. And unfortunately, sometimes, you know, with animals, things can go wrong. But in the past, these people who carried firearms were, found it very difficult to say that they were going through something difficult. When I joined the RSPCA, um, all of our inspectorate staff, um, there was a requirement to um, carry a firearm, but actually the, the need for everybody to carry a firearm wasn't really there, but there was a contractual requirement for everybody to do so. The problem we had then is that, of course, anybody with a mental health issue um, then has a problem getting a home office licence. 
so that therefore meant we were then dismissing staff for mental health issues. Now, you can imagine the sort of culture that creates when we're encouraging people to talk about mental health these days. And yet, if someone talks about mental health issues, then, of course, suddenly the spotlight can be turned to them and they then wonder whether they're going to be able to continue in that in that role. Um, we changed that. We could see the, the, the there was more danger for us as an organisation uh, with people not talking about mental health issues. So um, we uh, identified the need that only a certain number of people needed to, to carry um, uh, firearms uh, and therefore it then helpfully re- removed the stigma around talking about mental health issues. There is another side to trauma and especially common in jobs like carers. It's called compassion fatigue and RSPCA workers and partners like vets are really aware of it. I mean, trim, as I talked about, helps people with traumatic events. But one of the other things we've identified is is compassion fatigue. Um, people who are constantly looking after animals, um, animals that are really distressed and maybe putting them down, um, it's, it can be really hard on on a person's psyche. And um, compassion fatigue is, 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 is an area which is not a lot has been known about until the last few years. And actually, we're learning from other colleagues in the veterinary profession around that about how we can support our staff. Uh, so you know, we, we do recognise, for example, that the veterinary profession has the highest suicide rate in, in the UK, uh, and we're keen to ensure that we learn from what other organisations are doing around that, and we're looking at what we can do around compassion fatigue for our staff. If you've listened to the podcast before, you've probably heard us talk about the Samaritans, which is an organisation in the UK, which is designed to, to listen to people who are in distress or despair. So it's anonymously, you can ring up and you can basically say that whatever you like, you can talk about death, suicidal feelings, or just if you've had a really rotten day. Now, what's interesting is that when we were there, we discovered or we saw that there are certain people who found it very difficult to leave things at work who were who decided who, who just took home all the things they'd heard now what the samaritans are really good at is something called which i call dog fooding is something i think is a term where you eat your own dog food the idea is that you basically use your own system um so each volunteer has someone in the samaritans that they can talk to basically like they can have a samaritans call yeah it was a really great structure so we'd also have shift supervisors who were checking at the end of every shift and see if there had been a traumatic call and if there had been if you had a call with somebody whose life was pretty terrible and perhaps you've listened to them for 30 40 minutes and in many cases just talking about it has made the caller feel a little bit better but that story is still in the samaritan's head so after each shift if a volunteer did have a pretty traumatic experience then another Samaritan would call them up and encourage them to talk about it. We call them the Samaritan Sam. In most cases, that would help massively. Of course, we couldn't discuss specifics or reveal identifying information, but it did mean we were much less likely to keep it in our heads or worse, talk about it to somebody outside of Samaritans. Confidentiality is the golden rule. And that's how it worked at Samaritans, a pretty good system and one that I definitely benefited from. Yeah, and as part of the Samaritans, I volunteered to work in the prisons, uh, the jail, if you're from the if you're from the states, um, and you might think that would be like one of the most traumatic places that you could work, but actually, it was kind of not because in the prisons in the UK, there's usually volunteers themselves who are like Samaritans in the prison. They call them listeners, um, and it's really interesting because what will happen is then you've got volunteers within the prison who will be a Samaritan to someone. And, and as you know, you know, suicide rates and self-harm rates in prisons are 
massively high. Um, and so they would talk to people. and But then they don't have anyone to, to, to talk to back. You know, this idea of dog fooding where you go up the chain and you kind of like pa- pass the, the story on to someone else. So that's our, that was our job. So as Samaritan volunteers, we'd go into the prison and 99% of the time we'd be talking to the listeners and they'd be telling us the stories that they'd heard to kind of get them off their chest. So there's this idea of kind of diluting this trauma in that if someone in the prison, for example, has gone through something really traumatic and listened to a really traumatic story from some, from a, a, an inmate, a co-inmate, then they have that in their head. But then when they talk to us, who are one step removed from it, that trauma is much more diluted when it comes to us. But the person who's heard the original stories has had the chance to talk about it. And that's probably a really good way to approach these things. So if you do have someone in your workplace who is experiencing some trauma, just having someone sit there and listen to them and just using the Samaritan's technique of going, how did that feel? And did you get angry? Kind of those kind of questions and just shutting up and listening allows that person who's experienced the trauma to kind of almost like push it up the chain. And then hopefully it makes the trauma a little bit more better or a little bit easier to manage. Now you couple this with clear job roles and also allowing people to speak up when they are struggling and implementing things like flexible working and all the other stuff that really makes a great workplace. And you end up having a huge impact on the well-being of your teams, as Jeremy found out at the RSPCA. Right, pre pre to COVID, we um, had a pretty poor uh, well-being score with our staff and we've just conducted a, a MyView survey um, it's an engagement survey, and we've seen a huge rise in the um, in, in the score around well-being, uh, especially around our staff who have been working in a hybrid manner. Um, we we're continuously engaging with them about how it's going, how they feel, and also how managers are, are managing in in this particular new world. Uh, but the, the the evidence so far is that huge twenty percent engagement score we've we've seen uh, since uh, two thousand nineteen. The most important thing I think to take from this is that there are no superheroes. Everyone struggles at some point. And in fact, if someone in your workplace does appear to be superhuman, then maybe you need to keep a very close eye on them. Not being able to admit you're not okay is one of the major symptoms of impending burnout. There are no superheroes. We will all have problems, except maybe the blue Peter dog. We all have the same problems. So... There isn't a difference in my mind. And to be honest, I think that's why I do what I do, because everybody's everybody's important, whether you see them on the TV, whether you, you know, um, listen to them on a podcast. People here I'm starstruck by, Dame Carol Black, legendary, um, as as legendary to me as some of the people that I have the privilege of working with within the BBC. Um just as a name check, my favourite, the fa- most favourite celebrity I've met was a Blue Peter dog. He's gorgeous. He's so oh. gorgeous. So, yeah, I, I, everyone's the same. We're all the same. We're different, but we're the same. So there you go. I Hopefully we've covered workplace trauma. We have explained what it is, um, how it manifests, and then the ways in which you can potentially uh, sort of mitigate it and potentially deal with it. Um, I would encourage you to think about your people and I would encourage you to think, are they okay? And if they're not, can they put their hand up and say, I'm not okay? And this is where I think as well, it's really important that leaders think about the hidden trauma. If your job is to collect overdue invoices or deal with customer complaints, then that can be traumatic. And in fact, this is a significant area of research in psychological and behavioral science. 
to give you a very brief overview, emotional labor, it's a term used to describe the process where employees have to manage and sometimes manipulate their emotional expressions as part of their job. Customer service is a perfect example of this. So customer service officers are often required to display specific emotions like cheerfulness or empathy, regardless of how they're genuinely feeling. So this act of portraying emotions that might not align with their true feelings leads to what's called emotional dissonance. And it's this gap. It's a gap between felt and displayed emotions that can be really taxing. Why does this matter? Well, consistently having to suppress or alter Genuine emotions for work can significantly have an impact on employees' mental health. It's linked to increased stress, burnout, even physical health issues. And this emotional dissonance can also create a sense of inauthenticity and personal conflict. And that directly affects job satisfaction and overall well-being. It's not all doom and gloom, though. Coping strategies like deep acting, where employees try to align their genuine emotions with those that they need to display, can help. And also organisational support is key, as we've heard. Workplaces that recognise these challenges and provide a supportive environment, proper training, mental health resources and regular breaks can mitigate these negative effects. So for those in customer service, it's not just about handling the customer's needs, but also navigating their own emotional landscape in a way that's healthy and sustainable. And there are so many other examples of job roles where the same can happen. Understanding the nuances of emotional labor and dissonance is really vital for employee well-being and performance. As Dr. Claire just said, it's not just people at the front line who experience trauma. Every job has a potential to be traumatic and trim is all about how you react to it. Everyone is different, but we're all the same underneath. So there we have it. That's a wrap on another episode. Next week, we've got, I teased it last week, and we've got the amazing Chris Savage. Such, such a business crush on this guy. He's <laughs> so incredible. Um, and uh, he, st- he started a company called Wistia. Yes, you've probably heard of it. Yes, that Wistia. Him and his co-founders continue to bring to build this amazing workplace culture. And you can see it all over Twitter. You can see it all over YouTube. And as you can imagine, it's documented perfectly in video. And I'm guessing the video is hosted on Wistia itself, which is the best place to host your video. I'm not being paid to say that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so that's what's coming next week. Leah, do you have anything else to add before we say goodbye? No, not really. Apart from be sure to follow us on LinkedIn, on Instagram, on the TikTok, on Twitter um, for all the updates, for videos of our guests, interviews. If you're not watching the uh, the podcast on YouTube, then there uh, might be a nice way to dip your, dip your toe into the video format. And of course, go and follow Perks um, and hear more about the campaign they're running in December. It really is. I hope we've underlined this at this point in the episode. Asking for help really is a power move. We will see you next week. We'll see you next week. And just before we do go, if you are... If you are struggling with trauma, if you do have a, a pretty tough work and you are in the UK, then seriously look up the Samaritans. It's a totally anonymous service. We're not involved anymore. Um, we wish we were, but we don't live in the same countries. So we can't. Um, and uh, they're definitely worth a chat because they will just listen to you non-judgmentally. And they're an amazing organisation. They and, are. And actually, if you're not in the UK, they do have an email service as well. So drop them an email. And I'm pretty sure there's a similar thing in most countries. So don't suffer alone. Right, we will see you next week. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Unsurprisingly, trim is also used by the BB...
with a lower T and it's especially common oh no this isn't my bit sorry it allows them they, they're not so close I'm going to do all that again fuck that that's good so there we have it that is yet another ep- ep- <laughs>